Three, two, one, let's go. All right, so a couple years ago, one of my filmy buddies, my sound guy Mark, told me he went to Midnight Madness at TIFF, the Toronto Film Festival, and watched the Halloween reboot. And Mark was raving about how well it was executed. Uh, anyone that knows me in the film community knows my love affair for the original Halloween made in 1978. Uh, I'm of the belief that in, if one takes scale into account, that is arguably the greatest film ever made. So when news broke of a reboot, I was tentative because the last time I'd actually checked out the Halloween series, it was Rob Zombie's rendition of it, which is a lot like me taking a shit out in the woods when I go camping. He uh, completely butchered that series, in my opinion. Anyone who disagrees, come at me with that. I'd love to hear your uh, opinions as to how he didn't, because that was borderline unwatchable. So this Sunday, uh, I've been battling a pretty nasty cold. I decided to batten down the hatches and check out the reboot. And here are my takeaways. I actually wrote some notes as if I was back in university and I got to say right off the top of the right off the top how truly impressed I was um Mark was definitely onto something this film was extremely well executed uh for the fans of the series the purists I'm sure that they were left with a good taste in their mouth and to any people who hadn't been involved in the series what a nice way to jump in on this uh story so my immediate takeaways going to my notes was, first of all, how efficient and clean the photography was. Uh, beautiful framing, beautiful lighting throughout, nothing really crazy scale-wise, but very appealing to the eyes and extremely well shot. In terms of the screenplay, uh, really no fat at all. And why this thing fucking does this, bro. Pardon the technical glitch, I'm figuring this as I go forward, but uh, let's get right back to it. Uh, the screenplay wastes absolutely zero time. It jumps right into Michael Myers' story 40 years after he butchered the town of Haddonfield, and we open on him being institutionalized a la a cuckoo's nest, where two scumbag journalists pry to tell his narrative and his story. And uh, this was really, to the point, well-paced, again, beautiful depiction in terms of photography. And uh, a nice introduction here early on with the actual William Shatner mask. Uh, it was done in a very clever way by the screenwriters. And uh, I appreciated that and knew right away that this had a promising finish. Uh, in terms of the actual extras in the asylum, excellent work on their part. I often heard... Throughout film school, my professors would always say, uh, you know you're watching a strong film if the extras bring the goods to the table. And that pretty much applies for most successful films that I watch. If the extras are on point, then you can bet that everything under that is going to fall into place because the brains and the creatives behind the entire mise-en-scene have nailed down something as inconsequential as an extra's performance. So you know that um, oh, you're witnessing a strong film. Uh, moving on through my notes. Uh, director David Gordon Green, if anyone knows his previous work, he did Pineapple Express. 
Guy flexes his muscles on this. His direction is seamless, invisible, and you could tell that he was honoring the original in terms of his decisions stylistically and more importantly, his decisions with the narrative, the story itself. He does justice. Um, the actual depiction of Laurie Strobe by Jamie Lee Curtis, unbelievable. She's she's so underrated in Hollywood, does not get the love she deserves. Uh, she's basically pulling a Linda Hamilton in Terminator 2 here, but with so much more depth. Very likable. And her her narrative at this point is essentially the costs that come with trauma. She's living an antisocial life. She is not welcome at her daughter's home. She doesn't really have a relationship with her granddaughter whom she cares for. And between the lines, you could definitely see that she battled alcohol addiction at some point over the course of 40 years. So um, I got to really give credit to Jamie Lee Curtis again. She just she kills in every single scene. And uh, very quickly through imagery, we understand where she is in terms of her own life by the way they introduce her home when the journalists show up there. There's an abundance of cameras, locks. Her body language is closed off towards them. She's very awkward. Uh, but she's also assertive and strong when she needs to be, even in this early encounter, which draws you into her story. <laughs> So I was really uh, impressed with the backstory of Lori's life, like I mentioned, and the, the trauma that actually sticks with a human being even 40 years after such heinous acts as 1978 Haddonfield. Uh, another thing that was really clever, about 17 minutes into the picture, we learned that Michael Myers was not in fact Lori's brother, but he was just some random nut who fixated on this attractive babysitter that night in 1978. And this decision by the uh, creatives behind the picture was so smart. It makes Michael Myers so much more frightening. The fact that he zeroed in on someone he didn't even know or have lineage to. Uh, if anyone who follows true crime, those kind of stories tend to be the most unnerving and unsettling. So I really... Uh, Appreciated that decision by the powers that be. Moving on to some of my notes I jotted down while watching it. Uh, the actual escape of Mike Myers in this case, I, I mean, it wasn't done terribly well, but it wasn't done in a, sh it wasn't a shit show either. I guess they never really show what happened to the bus a la The Fugitive Richard Kimball how it crashed or what he did but later on in the picture in the film we learn through his psychiatrist's dialogue that Michael snapped and basically let a revolt on the bus so I, I was really on the fence on this I had no big yes or no against it 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 was necessary in terms of moving the story forward and uh, let's see what else we got the actual killing of the journalist the lady journalist in the bathroom super clever the way it's depicted the tension but more importantly the metaphor of a journalist who's basically selling shit for a living with the stories that she goes and uh, 
chases down. She dies on the shitter, so I really appreciated that decision in terms of the way she dies. And then, uh, sorry guys, I lost my connection. I'm back now. Uh, let's let's move on to other highlights. 45-minute mark. They bring back the original score in such a banging fashion. It, it hits right when night nightfall creeps over Haddonfield. And we see the kids filing in the streets, trick-or-treating. They even do the whole, and goblins and ghosts, that whole po- poem thing that the kids are heard chanting in the original. They bring that back. So that's another beautiful Easter egg. Uh, a really tension-riddled scene I found was when Michael uses a hammer to kill that housewife and takes the butcher knife. We hear a baby in a crib. It's so well executed by the director here in terms of how really evil is this guy? Does he do anything to the baby? And he hangs on that shot. And as the viewer, you're hoping to God he doesn't touch the baby but he just hangs and hangs, and then finally, Michael just leaves the house, and you realize, all right, he's not the devil incarnate. He's a d- demon, but he's not the devil. The uh, 48-minute mark, the way he kills the woman with the pumpkins, throwback episode, that's just beyond demon. Like, what a, what a beautiful, beautiful scene that is, the way the director hangs on that shot. And uh, other highlights are Vicky, the babysitter, and the boy, the little black boy, Julian. Their energy and their uh, synergy in terms of being a team was really beautiful and funny. And it was a nice little tension release that I found while I watched the film. All right, let me get the energy up here. I know I'm battling a cold. Let's see what else. The way that Oscar gets off. Funny, just just one of the funnier scenes, even though he gets butchered. He gives him the line, have you ever really liked a girl and just couldn't have her? I mean, how beautiful is that screenwriting? That is Michael's life to a T. And uh, the poor son of a bitch, after he tries hitting on the girl he's been in the friend zone with, he gets snuffed out. The psychiatrist is done so dirty. He gets basically squashed like a bug by Michael. Uh, other Easter eggs, the closet and the hangar sequence in the finale, and uh, the beautiful three generations of women taking Michael to his end, burning him in hell essentially by trapping him underground. So overall, uh, I could sit here for hours and ramble about how well this movie was done. My rating out of 10, I give it a solid 8.5, easily the second strongest in the franchise. Uh, I sometimes wish that half those other films were never made. I know all you horror people are going to come after me for saying that. But I would put uh, the original 78, that's number one. I popped this in at number two. My number three would be Halloween 2. And then after that, we throw in the Josh E.H. H2O with LL Cool J. And then beyond that, they can all be thrown in the uh, cutting room floor, so to speak. They really did kill off the franchise, but overall an 8.5. Mark, my sound guy, great recommendation. Anyone out there who's uh, consuming Halloween pictures, go watch this. Let me know what you think, if you agree, disagree, if you're indifferent. And join us next time when we review another film.
Thank you, and I'm out.